0: Let's take our Bibles, please, this morning, turn to the epistle of 1 Timothy. We started this book last week, and we're going to uh, continue in this study today. Well, last week we did the introduction to 1 Timothy, and we saw Paul's salutation to young Timothy. Then he immediately dives in, addressing false doctrines creeping into the church and the responsibility of Timothy to stop and correct these issues. Now, it's interesting, we just finished in Sunday school uh, a lesson talking about biblical justice versus the social justice of today and the whole series of lessons we've been doing in Sunday School is looking at life through a biblical perspective and it's interesting that so many of these things these these false things are creeping into the church Uh, a lot of these humanistic thoughts and philosophies creeping into the church and folks it happens very subtly and so as we read through the New Testament Sound doctrine, solid doctrine is preached over and over and over again. And that is what needs to be proclaimed in churches today is sound doctrine. Folks, as a pastor, I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm not here to make you walk out of here thinking that life is a complete bed of roses. I am here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God as God has given it. Teaching and preaching sound doctrine. And one of the responsibilities as pastor, which Paul is laying out for young Timothy, is the pastor has responsibility of ensuring sound doctrine is preached and taught in the church. I said this earlier today, and I'll say it again, because I truly am thankful that when I go away, I know there's men that I can call upon in this church who are going to stand up here and preach the truth of God's word. I'm thankful for them. And I know I can go away, and they're not going to give you some flowery doctrine. They're not going to give you their opinion. They're going to give you the doctrine of the Word of God. Because, folks, that's something that's extremely precious and needs to be guarded. You see, false doctrines create mass confusion. I went and did some research and found these studies and these statistics that are very troubling, and I'll call them in so-called churches. Okay? 12.9% of all pastors in America are now women. That's a problem. I'm not sure how they can meet the biblical qualifications of being the husband of one wife until you go to the next statistic that says 20% of all pastors are LGBT. 20% of so-called pastors are LGBT. And this ties in very much so with what we were discussing in the last uh, in the Sunday school lesson. And for those that missed it, basically the idea is with the CRT and all these other false social doctrines being promoted. One of them is actually a liberal religious social justice that is replacing the gospel with social justice, and that has led to these compromises happening because when the when the standard becomes the social justice of the world and not the word of God as The world shifts, so does your standard shift. And that is what's happened in these so-called churches. There are many teaching today that man is basically good. How many have heard that taught and said? Man is basically good. God said, all are sinners. There's the teaching of self-esteem that you need to believe in yourself and find strength in yourself. When Christ said for the Christian, without me, you can do nothing. There's the false teaching that God wants you to be happy. The highest priority of life is your own happiness and prosperity. But the Bible says that they that live godly shall suffer persecution. This is just a few examples of a list that goes on and on of false doctrines that have crept into the church. We think of false doctrines, things such as Calvinism and and others, and those are false doctrines and wicked too. But let me tell you something, it seems like every area There's a way in which Satan has has gotten his false teachers to creep into the church and take the truth of God's word and corrupt it and make some kind of false doctrine out of it. And what Paul is telling young Timothy, you need to make it stop. That is a great responsibility. And let me say, while it is the pastor's responsibility, let me also say every Christian Every born-again believer in the body of Christ, in this local assembly of believers, has the responsibility of also of being aware of false teachers creeping in. Be aware of what false doctrine is. But you can't know false doctrine until you know true doctrine. You know, it's said of the United States Treasury, which isn't the Treasury Department anymore, but when they want to teach somebody what counterfeit bills look like, you know how they do it? They haven't studied the real thing. And they keep studying the real thing and every aspect about the real money so that when counterfeits put it in their hand, they say, I don't know what's different about this, but it ain't right. When I was in sick call, when I was training to learn how to do sick call, the doctor told me do a head to toe exam on every single patient that comes through. So it didn't matter if he came in with a knee injury or knee ache, I'm sitting there and I'm looking in his ears, nose, throat, and eyes and everything else. Because the only way to learn what normal is and learn what abnormal is is to keep looking at it. So after probably 50, 60 patients, I get a guy come in and I have him open his mouth and I look in his throat and I'm like, that ain't normal. Okay, that is not normal (laughs) for you grammar people. I said, that doesn't look like everybody else's did. Long story short find out that the kid a uh, guy as a kid had stuck a vacuum cleaner in his mouth and s- Extracted his tonsils with a vacuum cleaner. And let me tell you something that does not look like a tonsillectomy Yeah, it was pretty sorry. It's, it's not lunch yet. No, it was a sailor Just as bad <laughs> Anyhow, I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew that, that ain't normal <laughs> You and I want to know what false doctrine looks like? Don't go studying the false doctrine. Study the real thing, and you'll know false doctrine when it comes. Because it ain't normal. That's what Paul is trying to help young Timothy understand. Because these false teachers and these false doctrines creep in, and they destroy the church. And and honestly, folks, some of these churches don't deserve to be called churches. And it is confusing the lost world when they look at Christianity and see that Everything goes in Christianity just as it does in the world. And they wonder, so what's the difference? So I've entitled this Safeguards for the Believer. Because I believe in these verses that we're going to examine. Paul gives three safeguards to overcome false doctrine. So if you're physically able, if you would please stand with me. We're going to read verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 of First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul writes, As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus... When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So here's how we're going to observe this passage today. First, we're going to see that you need to stay in your place. Stay in your place is seen in verse 3. Our second point will be to keep the message pure. Keep the message pure. Then we're going to end with avoid the preposterous. That's a big word, I know. But avoid the preposterous. You and I must only follow pure doctrine of the Word of God. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Father, again, as we examine this passage this morning, I pray again that you teach us to follow true doctrine, to put these safeguards in our lives, to to give us a guard against false doctrines, And Lord, that each of us would be aware when false teachers try to creep in, that we would avoid it, we'd shun it, and that we'd continue to follow true doctrine. Again, we thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul says to young Timothy, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. You know, God had a place of service for Timothy as he does for you. And I said before, your place of service may not be in the limelight but God has a specific place of service for you. I give this example many times of three men who lived at the same time, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, all of which God used to write what we call the major prophets. Which one of those do you think had the greatest ministry? Ezekiel, Jeremiah, or Daniel? You'd say nobody had any greater than the other. But you see, Daniel was taken captive at the first Uh, siege of Jerusalem, and was in the palace of Babylon, and then continued all the way up through Cyrus in the palace serving. And you think, well, that must be a great place of service. Obviously, Daniel had a great ministry. But what about Ezekiel? Ezekiel was taken to the second captivity, or the second siege on Judah, And he was taken with the captives and ministered to the captives taken to Babylon. So now you have Daniel who was taken, and he's in the palace. Ezekiel was taken captive, but he's ministering to the captives in Babylon. Well, that's kind of important, isn't it? But certainly not as important as Daniel in the palace. You see how we grade things in our minds? But you know what the truth is, is Ezekiel's ministry was just every bit as important as Daniel's ministry and then there's Jeremiah who stayed in Jerusalem and then after Jerusalem is destroyed he is forced to go down to Egypt for a while but he's with the remnant that's left so you have one that's ministering in the palace one that's ministering to the Jews that are captive in Babylon one who's there ministering to the remnant that's left does that make Jeremiah's ministry any less important no but God has a specific place of ministry for you, and that is the most important place you can be. And let's not desire something bigger, greater all the time, but let's be satisfied where God has placed us. That's part of what I believe Paul is conveying to Timothy here, as I besought thee abide still in Ephesus. Timothy, your place of ministry is there in Ephesus. So when we're looking for a church and I'm glad you all are settled here, but you know, sometimes we do get active duty military that transfer and whatnot. And so I think part of our, my responsibility is help them understand, when you move from here, what should you be looking for in a church? Here's what most people look for. What programs do you have? What service can I get out of this? What's in it for me? Unfortunately, many don't even understand. what they're looking for is not godliness. They're looking for entertainment. They want a church that has loud music and lights and all the things that go along with that because truthfully, what they want is to be entertained. I've been told by numerous people who have come through our doors, say, I love the preaching, but your music is boring. I don't believe singing the old hymns is boring, folks. And you don't have to have a rock band up here to make the music exciting. You don't bring the world into the church to try to entertain the world. Because we should be different than the world. And so Paul, writing to Timothy, saying, Abide still at Ephesus. When we go look for a church, we should not be looking for entertainment. We should not be looking for programs. But what should be looked for is, is the word of God being preached? Is sound doctrine being preached in this church? That should be first and foremost, is the preaching of the word ought to be the first thing you look for. You know where it falls on many people's list? Way down near the bottom. And I don't understand that. Because the most important thing you're coming to church to hear is the preaching of the word. And if preaching isn't primary in that church, it's probably not a church to be in. And if the church isn't preaching sound doctrine, it is not a church you should be in. And then instead of looking for programs that can serve me, how about looking for a church where can I serve? And then get plugged in and serve. Folks, there's a lot of things that happen in ministry, a lot of areas in which to serve. If you say, I'm sitting here and I'm not serving, and you've never asked me, well, you've never asked me either. And I actually think I have asked all of you, hey, in what area would you like to serve? So let's serve. It's not up to just a few people to do all the work. Every one of us has something we can be doing in the ministry. But again, your place of service may not be in the limelight. Paul went on and he started new churches while leaving Timothy to keep things in order in Ephesus. See, he says, and I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. I'm going to proceed. I'm going to go on. But Timothy, you be consent right there in Ephesus because that's where God needs you right now. But I love the words, he says, as I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus. The idea of besought has the idea of urge or exhort. Abide still. Continue there. Remain. Remain faithful where God has placed you. You see, God doesn't force you to serve him, but he urges you, exhorts you. He wants you to desire to serve him. God doesn't force you. The pastor doesn't force you. Paul didn't force Timothy. He says, but Timothy, this is God's will. This is the best place for you to serve. I'm urging you stay there. You say, "Well, why do you make such a point of this?" I'll get to that in just a moment. But before I do, God is going to call uh, God when He calls you to a place is going to go with you. Ezekiel 3:4, He said to me, "Son of man, go." Isaiah 6:9, He said, "Go." Exodus 3, 10, "Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh." But where God sends you, He's going to go with you. Why do I bring that up? The average pastor serves a church somewhere between three to six years closer to the three-year mark than the six-year mark. Now, I understand sometimes God does move people, and I'm not saying every move is wrong. But may I say, in the first three years of the ministry, you're barely getting over the honeymoon. Matter of fact, it's been told and it's been studied that it takes about five to eight years for a pastor and a church to build a relationship that really fully understands each other. You know what that tells me? If they're leaving four to six years, they haven't even finished the whole process of building that relationship with the people. But here's the sad thing. In trying to study how long people stay at a church, older people are, tend to have been in a church a long time. But younger people, you know what the average is? About three to six years. The same as what the pastor is. Now, I'm not saying that Paul had a problem with Timothy going church hopping. But he does emphasize, stay where you are. Stay there and serve where you are. And we have a problem in America of church hopping, not just with the congregation, but I believe also with the pastor's church hopping. The grass always seems greener on the other side. But what we need to learn, and I'll say it from pastor's perspective first, is what pastors need to learn is, yes, you hope people change, and you pray people change. But people are going to grow at the pace that they're going to grow and you just got to help and love them and guide them anyhow. Things aren't going to come in just because you're the new pastor doesn't mean that this whole church is going to change and everything's going to be miraculously good in two to three years. Unreasonable expectations. But now let me say it for the congregation. You do realize pastors are sinners saved by grace as well, right? And you know, whether it be the pastor, whether it be some other family in the church, unfortunately, sometimes Things are going to be said or done that are misunderstood. Or sometimes people sometimes really do things that are hurtful. But instead of running from it, how about we handle it the way God said to and approach them and say, hey, wait a minute. What you said or did was hurtful to me, and we reconcile it. But you know what the problem is? Is we don't handle things according to God's word. We're not looking for reconciliation. My feelings are hurt, so I'm going to take my ball and go home. Folks, it comes back to the sound doctrine. We have lost the sound doctrine. Sound doctrine says you don't run away from your problems, you reconcile them. And when we do these things, we are perpetuating this false doctrine. You understand what I'm saying? See how subtle it can be in a church? And now what's it created? It's created an atmosphere of church hopping. Oh, I was offended by so-and-so. It also ends up leading to church splits and other things of that nature. So it is important, folks, if we are going to safeguard our lives against false doctrine, learn to stay where you are because the grass is not greener on the other side. Unless God makes it clear it's time to move, don't. number two, after he says to Timothy, Timothy, stay there. He says, now this is why I left you there. That thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Keep the message pure, he says. That thou mightest charge some. That word has the idea of command. You see, we need to insist on proper doctrine being taught in the church. Insist on proper doctrine being taught in the church. Teach no other doctrine. Teach a different or divisive doctrine. And let me tell you something about the false doctrines. They're always divisive. They're always divide. They divide. They put question marks where God put periods. Galatians 1, 6 through 9, a marvel that you so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which have we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say now I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that you have received, let him be accursed, Paul says. There's one gospel. There's one way to heaven. And that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if anybody preaches anything different, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong language. In 1 Timothy, later we see this in chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men who of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing to gain his godliness, from such withdraw thyself. He says, Timothy, if somebody comes in preaching anything else but the doctrine that I have taught you, they're proud, and you need to avoid them. You see, Paul commanded Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And doctrine. Preaching that doesn't contain doctrine, what good is it? It needs to have sound doctrine. He told Titus in Titus 2.1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now, folks, this is one of the hardest things about Bible study. Because I know many in this room have different church backgrounds, different things that they were taught as a child. But the truth is, 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 the problem with us is when we approach the Word of God, we bring our preconceived ideas to the Word of God. We bring what we have been taught or learned in the past to the Word of God and try to force our thinking on the Bible. Worse yet, I have heard it said, well, hey, I got this great thought or this great idea and I want to teach this lesson. What verses can I use to back it up? Let me tell you something, that's dangerous ground. That is not how you prepare a lesson on the Word of God. But you find a text and you let the text speak for itself. You always go to start with the Word of God and allow it to speak for itself. But don't bring your preconceived ideas to the Word of God and try to stuff it in the Word of God. Allow God's Word to speak for itself. Otherwise, you will come up with false doctrines. We need to make sure... The doctrine stays pure. James 3.17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Here's the problem. So many today think unity over doctrine. That's not what God said. Doctrine over unity is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Folks, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's wrong. Don't give it any more time of day. Why bother wasting brain cells on things that don't matter? Do not compromise the purity of the Word of God for unity. But then we also need to remember that we need to defend proper doctrine. Jude 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful me to write unto you to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which once was delivered unto saints. Don't give way to the compromising doctrines. I want to talk a little bit more about what I mean by that here in a minute and some of the ways in which it has crept in. Paul says, charge some that they teach, no other doctrine. Neither giving heed to fables. So this moves us now to the avoid the preposterous. Some things just aren't worth your time. He says, neither give heed. It has the idea of don't pay close attention to or don't hold on to it. Be careful with what you're filling your mind. You know, I've mentioned many times about the um, Calvinists. One of the ways Calvinists promote their false doctrine is through their intellect. I am smarter than you. I have studied this more than you. I know more than you, and you little commoner cannot possibly understand what I understand. You need me to tell you what the Scriptures really mean, the deeper meaning of Scripture, because you fully don't understand. And they will belittle you in such manner. I've dealt with them. Let me tell you something. The doctrine of Calvinism is from the pits of hell because it makes God some ogre that has decided that certain people have salvation and the rest are damned to hell at his mercy and grace, they say, which is totally contradictory to the uh, grace and mercy of God. But they say in his infinite wisdom, he has selected certain people that will go to heaven and others that will be eternally damned to hell. You have no choice in the matter. That goes against what scripture teaches, doesn't it? Many of your cults, Boiled down to a work salvation, you add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is another gospel. Paul said, "Let it be, accursed." Isaiah 26:3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Keep your mind focused on the Word of God. Philippians 4:8. Paul tells us a whole list of things in which we're to keep our mind on. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So he says, neither give heed to fables. The idea of fables has the idea of a myth or fanciful stories. So I believe there's two groups of people slipping into the church at this time that Paul is addressing. One is the Judaizers, and the other is the Gnostics. The Judaizers have tons of myths, some of them from the Apocrypha and whatnot, that they want to pass off as the gospel. And so they're trying to pass off these fanciful stories. The Gnostics also have their stories, and they're trying to bring them in and say, this is the true gospel. No, it is not. You see, Christian, we need to be careful we don't get our theology of the Bible I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. We need to be careful we get our theology from the Bible and not from the TV. Okay, Hollywood has tried to make a lot of movies that give accounts of biblical events, whether it be Noah, whether it be Daniel, whether it be the life of Christ. And, you know, I have even gone to places like Sight and Sound and seen some of their plays, but I want you to understand something. The writers of these plays and the writers of these TV programs take poetical license to fill in the parts that the Bible has not given us. But here's the problem. Christians will watch that and think that the entire thing is historically accurate. You understand it is not historically accurate because there's parts we don't know. But they try to fill in those gaps for you. And then I hear people talking as though that's somehow in the Bible. It is not. And you need to stop getting your theology from the TV and start getting it from the Bible. So if you watch those, understand something. And I have watched some. But understand something. You need to understand where they have taken political license and that's exactly what it is, is some man's imagination of what could have happened and separate that from what the Bible said truly did happen. Okay? Because the others is just out there in the realm of possibility. So maybe we'd be better, I don't know, not to watch them? If it's going to confuse you, you'd be better off not seeing it at all, I'll tell you that. What about all these other things that go on? You know, the ones that tell about the near-death experience or a glimpse of the afterlife. And then everybody all gets wrapped up around the axle bell. Oh, well, there's a so-but-so had this near-death experience, and they saw this and that and the other thing. Listen, folks, if it's not in here, quit following it. You see, it just keeps creating more and more confusion. More and more confusion. And it compounds itself upon itself, and it just gets all this convoluted. But folks, if we're not careful, we can get sucked into it. And we need to put up a safeguard that we're going to keep our doctrine pure and we're not going to get caught up in the preposterous asking all the silly questions. How many angels hit, can fit on the pin of a needle? And, you know, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? Those are absurd questions and don't give time a day to them, period. And then it says endless genealogies. Now, Let me make this clear. Paul is not referring to the legitimate genealogies given in Scripture because Scripture cannot contradict Scripture. And so Paul would not be calling those endless genealogies. Those are extremely important genealogies given the lineage of Jesus Christ, given given, uh, the human history. And there's reasons why those genealogies are recorded in Scripture. So obviously he is not talking about those legitimate genealogies. You say, then what is he talking about? Glad you asked the gnostic teaching of emanations called eons which basically is this complex system of order and ranks of angels and i really didn't spend a lot of time getting into it because i felt if i'm going to tell you don't follow endless genealogies and then i spend a lot of time trying to figure out what exactly this is (laughs) would be kind of contradictory But basically, from my understanding, my limited understanding, is the Gnostics had this huge complex thing, because remember, the spiritual is separated from the matter, and so if Christ became a man, well then there had to be this huge eons that happened that separate Christ from Christ God, from Christ man. Well, that's stupid, because he is the God man. He's 100% God, 100% man, at the same time. I don't even fully understand the Gnostic teaching, nor do I want to waste brain cells trying to figure it out. Okay? Because Paul says, this is endless genealogies. It's worthless. You know why it's worthless? It's not in Scripture. It's not the truth. So why waste time on it? You want to know the truth, and you want to be able to identify the errors, study the truth, not the errors. Now, there were other Jewish genealogies not found in Scripture and some of those would go on forever and ever and ever and whatnot. And it could have been referring to those as well. But either way, the point being is they're not scriptural and we need to avoid them. Now, I find the Gnostic teaching of eons amazing that we, in within the last uh, two centuries, have actually adopted that in the Christendom. Because you see, in the mid-1800s, a man wrote a book saying that we did, were not unique creations of God, but rather we went through this big, long evolutionary process. Well, some theologians of the time, who trying to capitulate to the pseudoscience that called evolution but called itself science and had everybody in the world at the time convinced that this was true science, even then people were being convinced that this was true science, said, instead of saying, that is phony baloney, God created the world in six literal days, and we're going to reject the falsehood, we're going to reject your endless genealogy, that we came through monkeys and whatever, rather said, how can we fit this into the Bible? Do you see what the premise is wrong? It wasn't what does the Bible say? How can we fit this into the Bible? And so they came up with the theories called the day-age theory, the gap theory, and there's many other theistic types of evolution that have evolved over the years that have come into Christendom to where many Christians now don't believe that we had to be a unique creation of God, that the evolutionary process could have been what God used to bring us here. It is taught in in places and churches and stuff still today that there's eons of time that brought us to where we are now. Endless genealogies again, have corrupted the true doctrine because God said he created this world in six literal 24-hour days, period. And let me tell you what this has done. It has kicked out a lot of the foundation of the rest of the Word of God. Because if you can get people to question the beginnings, you can get them to question the rest of the book. It has been a tactic of Satan, and we have allowed that false doctrine from hell to be preached in our churches today, and it has ruined the foundations just as God warned us it would that's sad the fables and endless genealogies tear down instead of build up it says they minister questions interesting phrase there minister serve questions they offer controversy instead of building up now i want you to understand something you say wait a minute so it says there's questions so we shouldn't have questions no Legitimate questions are fine. What we're talking about is the questions that are risen by the false doctrine that makes you question the word of God. It starts making you question other parts of the word of God. And I can show you that legitimate questions are fine because we have another book that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth and called 1 Corinthians. A large segment of that book he is saying, now concerning as you asked. You know what that means? They had questions, and Paul is writing a book answering the legitimate questions the church had. So, legitimate questions are fine, but when we start chasing these false things, it is worthless. Don't ask those questions. Don't follow that stuff. Now, if it's a question about what did Paul mean when he wrote this? What did Jeremiah mean as he said this? What was happening? That's a legitimate question, is it not? How should we do this in the church? How am I supposed to live as a Christian? Those are legitimate questions. But to ask, who are the two witnesses in the book of Revelation? I don't know. You don't know. Someday we'll find out. But does it really matter? So rather he's saying debating these things offer no spiritual value or growth. They can appease the intellect, but they can't but they cast doubt on the Word of God. They're not edifying or building up one's faith. And is that not the purpose of preaching and teaching, to build up one's faith? So if the teaching and preaching doesn't have a premise that's going to help build up one's faith, but it's going to ask many more questions, then maybe we should avoid it. Not maybe, we should avoid it. So he says, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. You see, again, the purpose then, of teaching sound doctrine the purpose of preaching is to edify to build up in the faith now the last two words of the verse are italicized they're not in the original but truthfully when you study the way the stru- sentence structure is to make it make a proper english sentence and give the sense of what they're trying to say or what paul's trying to say the words so do are added there in other words timothy get it done do it now that is not an illegitimate addition to the Word of God because, again, the way the Greek sentence is structured, while the words themselves are not in the Greek, the idea of that is presented in the Greek. Does that make sense? Okay. I want to make that clear so you don't think that, hey, our translator's messed up here. Okay, because they did not. Get it done, Timothy. You know, I don't think I've ever met but a handful of people who actually like To confront others who like to actually have to deal with problems. There are a few that I have met that love arguing with anybody and anything about everything. Most of us are not built that way. But folks, let me tell you, there have been times over the 14 years of ministry that there have been false teachers trying to creep in here. And while I haven't liked it, by the grace of God I confronted them. One guy even told one time, I said, I think you'd be more comfortable at another church. Told him straight to his face because he was sitting there arguing with me that we're wrong because we're not Calvinist. After 20 minutes of listening to him and trying to reason with him, I said, sir, I think your best option is go find another church. I don't think you'll be comfortable here. I wasn't trying to be arrogant about it, but let me tell you something. Pure doctrine matters. And I hope each of you, if you hear some false doctrine being presented, will have the wisdom to deal with that. If it's a young Christian who might be getting wrapped in it to have the ability to help them understand the truth versus the error. But if it is a false teacher who's trying to promote false doctrine, let me tell you something, stand up to them. Because they try to bully you. Better yet, come talk to me and I'll deal with them. Now, some may say, well if you're not willing to have an open mind and study all avenues and study all things, then you all are just a bunch of narrow-minded bigots and you just have a blind faith and you just follow blindly and blah, 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 blah. Again, don't listen to that nonsense. I don't have a blind faith. And neither do you. You see, my faith and my not wanting to follow the fables and the endless genealogies based on the character of my God say, what do you mean? God cannot lie. God has revealed himself to me. I have the word of God that I am to study. I am to preach. I am to ensure that we're teaching and preaching sound doctrine. Anything that contradicts it is wrong, period, and needs to be called out as such. That does not make me a narrow-minded bigot That does not make my faith blind. That means I trust the character of God who said that I have revealed to you all you need in my word. Teach and preach my word and nothing more, nothing less. So when man contradicts God, I want to follow God, not man. You know what men like? Um, I don't remember all the ones that had adopted all the theistic evolution. But all those theologians of the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know what they should have done when they were approached with Darwinism? Said, according to God's word, that's false. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care what degrees you have after your name. I don't care how much you want to try to claim that there is evidence of this massively long time Of earth, eons of time, but it's not what God said, it's not what God teaches, and we're not going to give it credence. Now imagine where the church would be today if no theistic evolution had ever crept into the church. Every other doctrine needs to be, false doctrine, needs to be treated the same way. Don't give it time, don't give it credence, don't give it any acceptance or tolerance, because if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, My faith that trusts God is not a blind faith, says that God has given me what I need. This does not line up with it. Therefore, I don't need this over here. Right? So folks, do we have these safeguards in our hearts and lives? First of all, don't run from problems. Stay where God has placed you and serve where God has placed you and learn to reconcile things because again, that's solid doctrine. That's sound doctrine. But running and church hopping as we see happening in our country today, is truly following a false doctrine. Number two, keep doctrine pure. Well, first of all, study, understand the Word of God, the way God wrote it. Teach it and preach it that way. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. You are teaching somebody all the time. Say, what do you mean by that? Do your your co-workers ever ask you questions about your faith? When you explain your faith to them, are you teaching sound doctrine? You ought to be. You better be. As you present the gospel to somebody, you have an encounter with a lost individual, and you're presenting the gospel to them, it's important you're presenting sound doctrine. right? Right? Parents, do you teach your children? Are you teaching sound doctrine? Or are you teaching humanistic philosophy? Now, some of you do teach Sunday school here. Some of you do teach in other areas. Some of you have been asked to preach here. Again, thank you. To the best of my knowledge, each of you are teaching and preaching sound doctrine. And I want to say thank you, because that's exactly what we need to be doing and what we need to have in our church. You see, every area of life, no matter where you're going, needs to be... Showing, teaching, exemplifying, sound doctrine. When you go to work, are you a hard worker? Because it's not just what you say with your mouth, it's what you say with your hands. Are we not supposed to do all that we do as unto the Lord? So if you are a slacker at work, are you showing doing your best for Christ? You follow what I'm saying? False doctrines are crept into the church, and you and I need to have these safeguards. When the ridiculous questions come up, and the endless genealogies, just avoid them. I know sometimes people are like, well, Pastor, what if they ask a question I don't understand or don't know? Okay, well, first of all, you need to ask, is it a legitimate question, or is it a ridiculous question? Okay, I've given you some examples of ridiculous questions, but sometimes people may have other questions. And I'll give you just one as an example before we close. Because I hear this in a lot. Where did Cain get his wife? Well, it was his sister. Well, that goes against the law. Well, the law wasn't given yet. But you see, here's why these questions arise. Because we have allowed all these false doctrines to creep into the church that have put question marks where God put a period theistic evolution, all these other things we talked about, the prosperity gospel, all these things that have crept in, people are questioning where is the real truth. And so their question may be trying to divert you from giving the gospel, maybe. But sometimes, here's the reason why they're asking the question. Because they want to know, you're claiming that this book you're telling me is truth. So here's something I've been taught is a contradiction in the book. And if you can't give me an explanation of how that really is still truth, then I'm going to be able to throw the whole thing out as contradictory. Do you follow what I'm saying? Now, it doesn't mean it's right, folks, but this is what people are thinking. Okay? And so, but when you can give a legitimate answer, that was before the law of Moses. It was not illegal for him to marry his sister. And by the way, there really wasn't a whole lot of option on earth at the time. And so he married one of his sisters, and that's where he got his wife. That is a legitimate answer to a legitimate question that could now say, aha, there actually may be truth in this book and not reject it totally. You follow what I'm saying? So be careful the question they're asking because maybe they're trying to find is there really legitimacy and truth here? Now, why do they have to ask that question? Because Satan has done a good job of putting a question mark over the Bible, unfortunately, in way too many people's minds, with all these perversions and versions and everything else out there and all these false doctrines that every so-called church is teaching. No wonder the world is so confused about what truth really is. But I praise God he's given us the truth, Christian, and I praise God that you and I can study and know and understand the truth, aren't you? Focus on the word of God and not the endless genealogies, not the fables, not the false doctrines. One of the greatest doctrines of the Bible is that we can be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And folks, if, you're, if someone is here today and has never been reconciled through the blood of Christ, has never been born again, has never been saved the greatest truth you can know, the greatest doctrine of the Word of God is that Jesus Christ wants to save you. I'm not trying to hide or drop the piece of paper. I'm picking it up. And if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, in just a few moments, we're going to give an invitation. And friend, let me tell you, don't gamble with your soul because the Word of God is true. And there's two destinations for all individuals alive today. And that's either an eternity with God in heaven or eternity in hell separated from God. But God does not want you to be eternally separated from you, but rather he wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you eternal life if you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And if you don't understand that today, we would love opportunity to share that with you as we have a time of invitation. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes.